Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Whereabouts are you in the world today? So I'm in the sunny Mediterranean, the eastern Mediterranean. So I'm in uh, I'm in Cyprus at the moment. So <laughs> it's not as warm as I'd like it to be, but I'm hoping for some much more paradise, sunny weather. So uh... <laughs> yeah, Cyprus is a great place. I mean, I um, come from a Greek background, of course, and been to Cyprus too, and had a look, and uh, it's just amazing island, right? I mean. It's it's wonderful and and I love just that I, I was there in summertime, so of course it was really really hot and um, so no problem. That's coming towards your way very very soon. But I think you're also based in other countries too, like the UK. Is that right? Yep. So I'm British because I've got a British accent, as you can tell. I've uh, so I do a lot of my business over in the UK as well, and also uh, my other half she's uh, she's Scandinavian, so she's Swedish. So I, I kind of, I suppose I set up my business, Dennis, in, in a digital nomad type of style. So I can pretty much work wherever I want in the world and I get to have that flexibility. So uh, it's great to have that. That's awesome. Now, wonderful to be able to be training with, you know, world-class athletes like yourself and others as well. I mean, that would have been really, really, really exciting. Tell us a little bit more about that experience. Absolutely. Well, I, I actually started off in the world of athletics from a very young age. Uh, even though most of your listeners can't uh, see me, I actually lost my hair through alopecia at the age of 11. Well, actually, it was the age of 10. And it was all due to stress and worry. And I actually got into athletics at quite a young age through the encouragement of my father. And this is where I had actually met my former training partner who became the world and Olympic world champion in five and 10,000 meters. So I was very much a condition from a very young age to get in the zone, to get focused, to be become mentally tough in tough ever-changing times like we go through in the world today. So, you know, it was very privileged. You know, I represented my county, which is kind of just below sort of national level. So I did get to national level anyway, but didn't quite get as far as representing the UK or in England in, in any big championships because it is a very, it's one of those kind of like you know, like it gets to a point in your career where you have to start to make some real tough decisions, Dennis. So you either you either go down the, the uh, academic route or you go down the route of, you know, am I going to be a sports player? Am I going to be a take up football athletics in my case, of course? But to me, it was a real it was a real sticking point for me because when you get that good in your career and from an academic perspective, my family, we grew up very poor. 
you know, so we didn't come from a very wealthy background. And so I was really weary about that, that I felt like I really needed education. And you see the shock stories, whether it be in cricket, whether it be in whatever it is, but you get these like life-changing injuries and you've got no education. That was at the back of my mind. So it's kind of like risk, you know, weighed up the risk for me. So, but you know, I had a great career in what I was doing anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. And, and of course, the show about leadership is changing and that we've talked a little bit more about that, but it's all about the game change. It's all about change as well. And you had a turning point in your life where you had to decide which way you want to go. And that's not always an easy thing. And if there are listeners who are now right now thinking about a turning point in their life, career-wise, business, and other things, what would be one or two things that you might say to them for them to start thinking about to help them in that decision-making journey? Yeah, good question. And and I think I think what you have to do is you have to go back to basics, Dennis. What do I mean by that is you have to think about what is the what is the vision for your life? What is the vision for your business? So we all have a vision, right? Now we have, uh, and, and if you don't have a vision, I'd endorse you to go back to those core foundations and think about what is it that, you, how is it that you want to impact the world later on in life? How is it that you want to uh, be seen? What is your legacy that you want to build? What is your purpose in life? You have to ask very tough questions to yourself. I suppose it's a bit like having a, a Q&A session with your critic or your inner critic or your subconscious mind and sort of saying to yourself, well, what is it that I want from my life? That's what you really need to think about first. So that's the first big question you have to really ask yourself is ask those specific questions. What is my purpose? What is my why? What is my vision? And so forth. If you ask those questions, then you'll then you'll be kind of, you'll get a rough understanding of, okay, so if it fits in with alignment to my to what I want from my life, then then go with the flow type of thing and not think about kind of the consequences. So that's so I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah, it does. That's very good. Yeah, excellent. Now, this show, we're going to be talking about leadership is changing, of course, as we go through this. How did you get into leadership? You know, <laughs> really interesting. So leadership, so I got into leadership, again, at a very young age. I I actually got my first job at McDonald's. <laughs> I'm sure that most of your listeners have probably been in some sort of job very similar, but McDonald's was my real first job. It was my first paid job. And I think I was earning about £2.85, which... In Australian dollars back then, I think it was about three and a half bucks. So, or Kiwi dollars even, about three and a half bucks. But essentially, it wasn't a lot of money. But I love the job at McDonald's. And the great thing about McDonald's is that you can teach an idiot like me at 16 years old. And you can and you can pretty much teach anywhere in the world the same system, the same way to cook a Big Mac, a core panel of cheese or whatever it is, right? You can teach a 16-year-old boy like me to be able to do things. And so where I really learned about leadership is... I actually started leaning into a mentor that really kind of took me under his wing and saw a lot of strengths in me. And I was 16 back then. And then by the time I got to 18, I started running shift managing work at the age of 18. So I was uh, doing night shifts and kind of in between studying and, and things like that. And then I had to start thinking about how I get, ended up talking to people, how I communicate to them what sort of respect I wanted to command, you know, when I was in charge and stuff like that, because it would be me running the ship when all the big boys had gone, kind of gone home type of thing. And I learned really, you know, I learned a lot from my mentor. My first mentor was actually, his, his name was called Mark Mayer. And it was a bit like, it was a bit like my a dad that I never had, right? He was kind of that father figure that kind of saw the best in me. He was a great guy because what he did is he called, the great thing about a mentor, Dennis, is that they'll call you out on your good points, but they're very good at also saying, hey, so I think you can make some improvements in this area here, or 
I don't think you should speak to it, that, that person, but this is how you could use a different way to speak to them, for example. And they'd really give you some, some great cues because Mark had been around for like, I don't know, 15, 20 years and uh, saw the best out of me. And then when I got to the age of 25, uh, 21, Mark, Dennis, I actually got big promotion after I'd finished all my studying. And, and really, I really had to up my leadership game, if I'm honest with you. At the age of 21, which is a really young age, I was pretty much running a store at the, you know, turning over about 9 million pounds worth of business, selling 99 pence burgers and uh, in charge of a hundred staff at Christmas time. So I had to learn very quickly, but I had a lot of support. McDonald's was a great system back then. And this was way before they, you know, they went into mass franchising. So I was very much part of the company and stuff like that. But that was kind of my first episode of real leadership. As I reflect on it, I was very, very fortunate. I mean, I started out in the working world as a systems analyst because my, my degree was in math and computer science. So I worked for a major telecom company in that capacity at a time when the business was going through this transformation from monopoly to a competitive world. And it occurred to me relatively young or early in my career that the challenges that we were facing with that change in business landscape required us to do some different things. And that's kind of where I started to think about this be different notion. And so I spent copious amounts of time trying to figure out and encourage our organization at a very junior level in the organization to do some different things. That sort of predetermined my life in the organization. I was a guy that was unsettled by constancy. I didn't like the status quo. I was worried that, that we weren't doing the things that were gonna make us survive and, and thrive in a highly competitive world. So I started spending my, my time going around and up the organization, basically practicing that be different sort of mantra, looking for things to change at a very sim simple level. Like I am not an academic guy, don't believe in it, the textbooks can solve the problems of business, irrespective of the fact that people sometimes do. And that's a mistake. And we can get into that if you want. So I just started doing some basic fundamental things until I, I was fortunate enough to get a job as leading our data and internet company at a time when the business was just opening up. I mean, these were the days when dial-up was a really cool thing, right? Oh, <laughs> nice and cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so having the chance to build a business around a new market and to actually learn what it took to light fires in people so that we could execute better and move towards what eventually ended up to a billion dollars. That opportunity was super. I loved it. I get goosebumps every time I think about it. It was so much fun. And uh, yeah, so I'm a guy that looks at everything through a be different lens. I test myself to be different. And, and I honestly believe that now more than ever, Dennis, we need to have that ethic in organizations. We're way too much copying going on, benchmarking best of class drives me insane, I gotta tell you. Anyways, that's a bit about who Roy is. Oh, nice. How dare you talk about dialogue? Cause I mean, that's just amazing, isn't it? It's missing, it's it's not there anymore. And, I, and Roy, I think you hit the nail on the head with what you're just saying about the dialogue and the other stuff that you're sharing, because whereas the days whereby you and I could actually have a discussion about a topic without both being offended, without both being judged on what we're saying. But you know what? You may have something that you're right about or that you have a, a point of view that I might learn something from you. And that's, I think, the big thing is the learning of each other is now lost without having that dialogue. Because, I mean, I don't know about a message on Messenger or a text message or, or something on Twitter. So many words 
can be interpreted so many different ways. And it's, it's just really interesting how people think and do that. And I think you're so right. It's missing that the, the ability to have a, a, a constructive dialogue. Well, there's a lot of passive communications going on. I mean, it's the way I describe it. It's one way, et cetera. What I found worked for me, and really the business growth is a testament to the fact that it worked in the real world, was it was if you engage people, right? If you engage them in terms of their hearts and their passion and their soul, and they believed in what they were doing, then the most important part of the business, i.e. execution, would flourish. There's way too much planning, Dennis. There's way too much planning going on and not, a, not enough executing. And the reason the execution doesn't happen is leaders don't get right into the trenches and start working with the people who own the execution process. And those are frontline people, people who deal with customers. And that whole piece is missing as well. So my hope is through these kinds of sessions, to kind of like tweak somebody and say, hey, what if you tried this? It's really simple. Does it work? Yes. You can trust that it works because my proof point is a billion in sales. This is the stuff yep. I did, right? It's not textbook stuff. It's real world practical stuff that works. So you can trust. Yep. Yeah. And it's real, as you said, real practical stuff. That's good. Now, you mentioned something before about academic and so forth, and sometimes it's a mistake. And so, and I think you're sort of touching on that, and you said we might want to talk a little bit more about it. So let's talk about it. I mean, you're talking about the academic side. What do you mean by that, Roy? Well, I, I just, my experience is that people are guided more by textbook readings than they are by what actually works in the practical real world that's complete with bias personal needs, et cetera. I want to say this is not a slam against textbook, okay? What's a slam against is that when people put all their faith in what the textbook says is as a prescribed solution, then that's deadly. That's not good leadership, okay? What I found is that, okay, certain formulas and certain kind of approaches may be reasonable as a guide, but at the end of the day, there's no substitute for actually moving off that position and doing something that can be executed. See, this is the thing, right? The textbook may give you the plan, but it will not inform you on execution because you're dealing with different people in different circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. So I just don't think it goes far enough. And there's not enough conversation in the world around how do we execute? How do we execute? It's all about, it's about SWATs and formulas and models and all this kind of stuff. That's fine as a place to start. But I keep telling people, because we did it, it will not take you to where you need to get to. There's more to it in terms of winning than just adhering to the textbook. Unfortunately, right, our system is heavy on academics and it's light on execution, okay? And perhaps it's because there's not enough people like me and you with your experience out there talking to students about why this perspective is so important. But, you know, through venues like this, my hope, because you should keep banging away at it, Dennis, banging away at it in hopes that we can make some little difference and get people thinking differently. Yeah, absolutely, Roy. And that's that's why I do this podcast as well, is it's about the voice of yours, myself, and being heard, but also helping other voices be developed and heard as well. And yeah, oh, wow, I love what you're saying about the execution piece, because it's, it's spot on. I mean, number of people who buy a book, but never read it. So hopefully from osmosis, they'll pick up the information, but that doesn't happen. And then for those of you that do actually might read it, they go, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And they go, great. So what are you going to do with it? And they do nothing with it. And then they go into another book. You're so right. And there's the key word that you just use. It's a guide. And the guide is there. It's what you do with it is what counts, which is really, really important. Part of it is what's in the book. 
Okay, like, like this. I know we're jumping ahead, but this is a how-to book. It's a manual on how to do things. It's not a prescription of what to do more. It's more about here are ideas that worked. Okay, these are not theoretical ideas. They worked. And if you follow them, and if you want to prescribe anything, here's how to actually execute on it. So it's a how-to book. This is now my seventh book. They're all how-to books. And sometimes they're repetitive, Dennis, because I believe people learn in a different way. And so I'm just going to keep banging away on the premise of executing, simplicity, honesty, candor, all these complicated concepts, right? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Not complicated at all. We just don't do them. We don't teach them. Well, I think we make it complicated as human beings. We, we complicate it. But it, as you said, it's simple stuff that what we need to do is actually implement and get on with it. Easy for you and I to say, but not always easy to do. And we're not saying that it is, it is easy. It's just saying that you've got to get on with it as well. And so for our listeners, uh, Roy was just showing his book. And if you haven't read, go and check it out. Be Different Will Be Dead. It's a wonderful book to, to check out as well. So Roy, how did you get into leadership? Well, actually, yeah, I, I thought about an interesting question. I, I didn't really get into it. I kind of grew into it through the process that I, that I described a bit earlier about just constantly being in a state of trying to change things in, a, in little ways that got noticed. So I was, I mean, I was a guy learning marketing and customer service in a world that was dominated by engineers. That was a telecom space. And so I, I had to fight for attention to get things done. And so I spent a lot of time trying to come up with simple things that could be done and convince people that they were, they were sort of modicums of change. I was trying to take this big ship and kind of get it moving in a little bit. And if I did enough of that, we would see some larger changes and that would transcribe into better performance and the ability to survive the onslaught of competition because that's what was happening to us. So as I did that, I had the opportunity to get moved around the organization quite a bit. So I did operations jobs. I was vice president, EVP of marketing and sales. I was EVP of operations. So I learned the power of the front line firsthand. I learned to love them because they would return that love in the way of superlative execution. I just learned that stuff, right? So I just kind of went around and then boom, at the very end of my career, I had the chance of of working on it in the data world that was just coming up. And my God, it was better than dial-up. I mean, we had some incredible opportunity, <laughs> incredible opportunities to build a business. And people will say to me, well, how did you do that? What was it? I tagged them these be different audacious ways that I talk about in my latest book. They're small, simple, easy ideas, light fire and people get the emotions going, get the passions going. And by the way, at the end of the day, they drive performance. I want to make one thing really clear to your, your listeners. I didn't do any of this to be cute. I didn't do it to be cool in terms of ideas. All of these things were meant to do one thing, and that was drive top-line revenue. If it didn't drive top-line revenue, I wasn't interested in doing it. And so, so that's another thing that people can say is it, we're going to talk about things like cut the crap and other things. You can be sure that if you did something like this, it will drive top-line and the reason you can be sure of that is I did it. Proof point is billion. Pretty hard to argue with that. Blows me away, Dennis, when I think about that. It blows me away. Yeah, very much so. So if it doesn't drive the top line revenue, don't do it. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 